to us today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, thinking about having uh, uh, Taysom baptized today, it reminds me a little bit about when I was younger myself and had my children at home, and uh, there would be times where I remembered that I can't always, in fact, i got to be careful with the idea that I'm going to be asking my kids what they want and just give them what they need, uh, because there would be times where I'd say to them, well, what is it that you want to eat? And they'd tell me what they wanted to eat, and you put it in front of them to eat it, and then they wouldn't eat it, and you'd say, why did I even ask? I should just put something there. You know, you wonder, why did they want this so badly? Because now that they have it, they don't even want it. And I'm sure many of you have seen that happen in your own experiences with your own children. Well, you, you have that in this chapter in, in, in a way, too, don't you? You know, sir, give, this, give us this bread to eat. We're hungry. We want something that will satisfy us like nothing else ever has. That sounds good to us. But then when it's presented, when somebody does exactly that and offers exactly that, they don't want it. And yet it reminds us about the fact that it remains still what Jesus is presenting, the food and drink that will satisfy for life and eternity. Really one of the things we're going to see this morning, again, is a reminder that we're all in one boat or the other as far as how we want to live our lives. We either want to live with death at the end or we want to live with life at the end. We either want one kind of food or we want another. And this passage reminds us of why it's so much better to want Christ. Because what he has to give lasts so much longer than the alternative. He is the true food and drink. And it still needs to be offered to people for that eternal satisfaction. It's the true food and drink that Jesus Christ is, as the living bread, as the bread of life. He gives his life, he gives his flesh for the life of the world where, where we need to find our satisfaction because, again, it is a sacrificial kind, but it's also a very superior kind. In the time that we do have, I'm going to spend a boatload of time, or most of the time, talking about the superior element. Actually, tonight we're going to hear a lot more about the satisfaction of Christ, as we look at Belgic Confession, Article 21 and 20, and look at 1 Peter 1, dealing with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But let's take a look this morning at the real food and drink that Jesus Christ is, superior and sacrificial. We look, first of all, at the superiority of that bread. You know, people wanted a sign. They wanted a sign so that for them, they could it, it would prove to them that they should change the way that they're thinking right now. Because the way they're thinking right now is completely different than what Jesus Christ is offering. Uh, their trust is some, in something entirely different. They want a sign to uh, give to them proof that they should be moving over from where they are to where they should be. Why they should be listening to Jesus' word. Why they should be listening to Jesus as a person. Why they should be listening to Jesus' work as opposed to Moses and the trust that they had in keeping the law. 
The priority for Jesus' opponent, you see, wasn't the spiritual one because they didn't figure that was something. And we talked about that a little bit in times we've been here and times past. They just haven't seen the need for it because they got Moses in the law and they're close enough with that and they'll follow the law that way. And, and so they've got other priorities. They've got political priorities. They've got material priorities. We've seen that. And so for them to break from that priority, those priorities, and now follow Christ, well, they said they went through for that. Why they should change. They talk about the bread that Moses was able to provide as the sign that made Moses worthy of following. So what sign does Jesus give? And Jesus doesn't give one. And yet he does. Jesus becomes the sign himself. These people were confident in Moses, who supposedly supplied the bread from heaven. But Jesus, as the bread from heaven, is a superior bread because he gives everlasting life. He's better. The manna from heaven and the materialistic mindset can never provide that. Ever. If you're going to rely on Moses to save you, if you're going to bypass your need for everlasting life so that you can prioritize on things in this life, you're going to be no better off than those who died in the desert, says Jesus, because those who ate of the manna in the desert are dead. They died in the wilderness. It didn't do them any good in the end. What you need is a superior bread, says Jesus, and I am it. You eat of me and you won't die. So there's your choice. You can eat of the bread that nevertheless will make you you'll still die, or you can eat of the bread that, in which you won't die. You can eat and drink and tomorrow you die, or you can believe in me and never die. It's interesting, we were talking about that Wednesday. I found it really fascinating. I was listening to my the four students that were in the profession of faith class I had, and we just I just listened to them for a while. We were talking about the difference, the differences, and they were seeing this, right, as as young people, as young adults, and they were seeing the folly of living, because you got two ways to live, basically. You either say, I'm gonna eat and drink and tomorrow I die. Or you're going to eat and drink of Christ and never die. Those are your choices. And for them, it was like, why would you want to just eat and drink and tomorrow you die? Why? Why chase all of that, trust all of that, and die in the end? When you could trust Christ and never die. And you could profess your faith in Christ and never die. You drink of my blood and you'll have eternal life. And I will raise you up on the last day. And that's hope. That gives you a future. You're looking at 2024. You want a future? There it is. And that's true about anybody. Jew, Gentile, young, old, rich, poor, healthy, sick, 
Red, yellow, black, white. Now that's the satisfaction that's been presented. And now that that's been presented, why not swallow it? Now Jesus' opponents are repulsed by it. We didn't read that. You know, it's like, how can he give us this, this flesh to eat, right? And then, and then they said, you know, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I didn't read that verse. I probably could, should have, but... You know, Jews were supposed to eat flesh with weren't supposed to eat flesh with the blood in it. And they were not supposed to drink blood because that was considered a ceremonial abomination. And so when you hear that you must drink his blood, not to mention this seemingly cannibalistic offer, there's something naturally offensive to that, not to mention perplexing. But that's just, that's just the point that Jesus wants to make. Jesus was not saying that people were going to have to eat him or drink him literally. No, of course not. When Jesus says that we must eat of him and drink of his blood, that means exactly what Jesus had said earlier, that those who would look to him and believe on him would have everlasting life and would be raised on the last day. That's what that was pointing to. But Jesus puts it that way. Because he wants to underscore the fact that the gospel is offensive to people. Not, there's no reason for it to be. Because you either eat and drink and tomorrow you die, or you trust Christ and you live forever. That's pretty attractive. But people are still offended to think. And they would rather say, I'm just going to live to eat and drink and tomorrow I die because I do not want to have to come to him for everlasting life. Why? Why can't I, mean, why can't I find myself, my, my satisfaction somewhere else? Why not in my pleasures? Why not in my prosperity? Why not in my popularity? Why not in my, my, my friendships or, or the power that I can wield? And you know why? Because none of those last. That's why you still die. You know, if that's what runs your life, you still die. And not even remarkable manna from heaven can provide that. He says, "You even your forefathers ate of the manna, and you and you still die." Can't my righteousness provide that life? No, because your righteousness isn't righteousness. Only Christ's righteousness provides that life. The only one. And Jesus knows the darkness of the human heart. He, he comes as a light to the darkness. That's what he's doing here. He, he's coming to Capernaum. You notice again it mentions. He said this in the synagogue of Capernaum. That's in Zebulun Naphtali. And it's to Nebulun Naphtali, as we mentioned, where a great light comes to a people walking in darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But the darkness refers the darkness to the light. Here's the satisfaction for life. Here's the satisfaction forever. Here's the one who provides everlasting life, which nobody else can provide. Here's the one that has food that will satisfy, but it's an offense to many. It is. Because 
people wanted Jesus that will satisfy their political needs or satisfy their material needs, or they wanted Jesus who's going to be, we'll, we'll put him on par with other religious leaders of the day. Or we want to, we want a Jesus where we say, okay, we'll give you, we'll give you that to those people over there, and if they want Jesus, that's fine. But he's not for anybody else. Don't, don't bother other people uh, with Jesus. They've got their own religions, and we want a Jesus who's going to show us a good life and a good time, but not to be the bread of life. You know, a few years ago, I remember it was the day after, actually looking it up again, but it was the day after Christmas, Gerald Ford died, former president of the United States. I was living in Illinois, and my son was taking a class for school in Michigan, and he said, Dad, why don't you come? We can go walk. We can go and see him lying in state in Grand Rapids. So we tried to do that, and it got so late, and the line was unbelievably long. I mean, miles long. And I finally told my son, I can't stay. <laughs> I can't stay any longer. I got to go home. I said, I'm going to fall asleep standing out here. A few days later, Gerald Ford had his funeral. And it reminded me of something similar to what I'd seen happen when Princess Diana died. It was an opportunity for millions of people, for a remarkable amount of people, to hear about the gospel at a funeral. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen at Princess Di's funeral either. And I remember hearing the funeral, and all I heard about was how good President Ford was. I, I don't, I mean, a funeral's a family affair, and if you want to talk about your loved one, fine, right? But never through that funeral did we ever hear about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that was too bad. That was too bad. It was an opportunity and a challenge to tell others in attendance and over the airwaves that nobody comes to the Father except by Jesus. And it didn't happen. People passed on that opportunity. The day was solely about what Jerry, who Jerry Ford was. And not at all who Jesus Christ was. It, it was about the life of Jerry Ford and not about the eternal life that only Jesus Christ could give. And I think partly of that is because we know that such a Jesus is an offense to us. So why offend people? Why challenge people to believe that Jesus Christ, as the divine Son of God, demands and deserves our trust and our allegiance as the bread that comes from heaven? Why shake people up on such a solemn occasion? And yet, that's the offense that needs to be risked. Because without that proclamation, the satisfaction that people need as they encounter death like they did at Gerald Ford's death or any others isn't going to be there. The satisfaction needed to atone for one's sin won't be found. Of belonging to the Father through the Son, that satisfaction won't be known. And the satisfaction of everlasting life won't be the comfort and joy for people to receive 
as they go through life and as they encounter death. Because in so many situations, people would rather eat and drink because tomorrow we die. And that's how they want to live. All of us are either living right now, either as eating and drinking because tomorrow we die, or we're saying we're eating and drinking Christ because today we live. And we always will. We ought to prefer the other, the latter rather than the former. The offense of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God who has become incarnate so that he may give of its life for the sake of sinners. The offense is that nothing that you can muster and nothing about yourself can provide that life. Nothing. And the offense is that we're totally depraved, left to ourselves, that we naturally hate God and our neighbor. I was hearing these high schoolers and these young adults saying this on Wednesday. And thank God they weren't offended by that. Because they said at the same time, which is what I really loved hearing, that just goes to show you how deeply Christ loved me by giving his life for me when I was like that. We've got hope in our young people that way for the future. And we see God working at them that way. You know, as offensive as it may have been to drink a glass of blood, so offensive to the darkened hearts it is for those who hear that whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. It's an offense to people. And that they'll be raised on the last day. It shouldn't be offensive, should it? Really? Because otherwise, again, you can eat and drink and tomorrow you die. That's the way the... Re this is the way to the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. That was another thing we were mentioning. You know, it's what we said in the Apostles' Creed again. We did not say, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, because I believe in me, and I know I'm going to die. And that's the end of it. No, we say, I believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and I believe. What's the last thing we say? We don't say we're going to die. The last thing we say is, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life Everlasting. Now, which is superior? The latter, not the former. That may be offensive to many, but we need to continue to spread the good news that Jesus is the bread of life, and by God's grace, it won't be offensive to everyone, I assure you. Let's not forget that the bread... He gives us is not just for eternity, as marvelous and important as it is. It is for now. He who eats of this bread has eternal life now. That means that he has a favored relationship with the Father, or she. A communion with the Christ that abides forever. A right relationship with the Father, not just advancing towards one. And that means that everything is going to work together for good for us. I heard Tisby saying that. She has a real handle on the providence of God. And that was a real encouragement to me. And that means we have reason for hope, no matter what sadness may befall us. 
And she knows that. Jeremy knows that. And that means then you're in a position to be a light yourself in a dark world. And I've heard that from her. This isn't a, this isn't a Tisby show. I'm just saying that these are things I've heard. These are things that need to be true for ourselves, right? That God has put us into a position then, having known him as the light, to be a light ourselves, so that that's what people see about us. We have a story to tell to the nations, including our neighbor, and it means that the Lord has equipped us to do the good that he would have us do in this world as his workmanship. We don't only get eternal life, we have it. We didn't buy it, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but we got it, and it's ours forever. And that's a reason, that's the reason to praise the Lord. What reason for living for him? What a superior food that this bread brings when we eat and drink from him and get eternal life. And briefly, it is sacrificial. Our passage tells us that the divine Son of God gives his flesh for the life of the world. There's a superiority in that sacrifice as well because he gives it not just for the Jews but for the Gentiles. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And unless Jesus becomes our substitute, and we'll talk more about that tonight, there is no living bread, there's no everlasting satisfaction, there is no everlasting life. And unless the divine word becomes flesh and gives of that very flesh for us, there is no hope for life. And here again is why the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And that's what's so amazing about the incarnation and the question of the Jews underscores this. How can he give us this flesh to eat? They are amazed by this thought. Well, he could do it by the sacrifice on the cross. And that's the message of the light in the darkness of Zebulun, Naphtali, in the sand synagogue in Capernaum. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to those who did receive it, they have power to become children of God. The sacrifice of the flesh of the one who came from heaven as the divine word is amazing. But it's amazing not because it's impossible to do. It's, it's amazing not because people didn't appreciate Jesus and therefore evil won the day and sent Jesus to the cross outside the plan of God. It's not amazing as if Jesus' death was a wasted life of a decent man. It's amazing because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. It's amazing that Christ would love his father so much to do this and love his own so much to do that. It's amazing that we can have that kind of life. For you to be able, and I say this more often, that you can get up in the morning and you can say, because you partake of Christ, in faith, that you can say, I get to live that amazing life right now. Every day. And for eternity. Everlasting life. New life. Because this living bread has come to give his life to the world. There's many things that will satisfy for a time. But only this true food and bread can satisfy us eternally. Only he can do that for you. 
Everything else is live, eat, drink, tomorrow you die. You eat of Jesus, you live forever. That's an offense to many people. It is. But by God's grace, may, may that also become a joy to many. May that be your joy today. An amazing joy. And, and that's a joy that's to be our calling. Eat of his flesh, drink of his blood by believing that only Jesus is the true food and drink for your life. And there isn't anything more satisfying than that. Which would you rather have? Right? Eat, drink, and tomorrow you die? Or eat, drink, of Christ? And live forever? The answer is the latter, not the former. Amen. Let's take a moment.